All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, we're going to be in Acts chapters 21 and 22, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Acts 21 and 22. Paul is working his way towards Jerusalem. He really feels compelled to be there for, the, uh, for Pentecost. And uh, um, everywhere he goes so far, he's indicated that last week anyway in our, in our previous chapter, that um, he's being warned about what was going to take place there. In, in Jerusalem. He's, he's going to get in chains. He's going to be put in chains. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be turned over to the Gentiles and so on. And so he's been warned about that. And yet, and yet none of these things move him. Knowing that about uh, his end or his imminent end, um, he has that pastor's conference with everybody and encourages the guys to you know, stick with the Lord and to don't forget what you were taught and don't, remember, don't forget that you're the shepherds now and, and so on. Uh, always having a chief shepherd, of course, Jesus Christ, but these are the ones that have been entrusted, um, uh, the sheep have been entrusted to these men. And so encourages him in that as he, as he gives his farewell to them, to remind them that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And what he meant by that is the Word of God. Make sure you're taking care of yourself, but make sure you're giving out the Word of God, you know, um, the whole counsel of God, not just parts, the whole thing. Uh, we can get into the habit of doing that. Um, I know when I first came to the Lord, I was looking for the juicy parts, you know. <laughs> uh, as an adult, you, you, you grow up and you learn to eat everything on your plate, not just the, the prime portions kind of thing. And, uh, but as a kid, you know, you do that. You look for the, the best parts. Um, but as we grow up spiritually, it's important for us to read everything, everything. Um, the whole counsel of God, uh, the deeper parts, the parts that pull it all together, that make the story complete, uh, the verbs, you know, the ands and the does and the all that. Not that those are all verbs, but uh, the idea is the, the, the in-between parts, you know. You're like, man, this guy needs an English lesson. Well, that's for sure. I do need to take a class, I'm sure. But everything. And so Paul says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And the implication there is I pray that you don't shun to declare the whole counsel of God. And uh, we need to do that. And so he moves on. Verse 1. Now it came to pass. That when we, that means uh, Dr. Luke is with him at this point, had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos the following day to Rhodes, and from there, Patera, and finding a ship, sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed uh, to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. What a sweet send-off. You know, they found some disciples there in Tyre, and, uh, and uh, they wanted to walk with them and say goodbye to them and, you know, take them as far as they could. They, they, they didn't want to let go of Paul. They wanted to be with him as long as possible. And it reminds me of the disciples as they're standing on the hill and Jesus was taken up out of their sight. They, they, you, know, you know, how long do we stand here kind of thing. 
And of course, the angels had to dismiss him and say, you know, he's coming back in the clouds, but why are you still standing? You need to go to where he told you to go, which was Jerusalem. Wait for the power from on high, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and wait there for that. And then go do what he told you to do, make disciples of all the nations and baptize them and so on. So um, it reminds me of that. Um, There is something about um, fellowship with believers. You know, you can spot them usually after a few words, a few sentences, you get the idea, okay, you know, there's just this peace, you know. Um, I remember when I was away from my home for a period of time, and whenever I would return to my home, before I had my own home, you know, go to the Marine Corps, or you go to college, or you do whatever, and you come back to that place where you grew up, something very, very comfortable about that, very, very familiar about that, and that's the idea. When you come in contact with a believer, no matter where you are, there's something very familiar, very very homey about it. And uh, that was the case with these folks from Tyre. I love it. So they did. But while they were there, through the Spirit, there was a warning, don't go up to Jerusalem. Now I'm going to leave that where it is for now, because I don't believe the Spirit was telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem, but that was what they came up with. And I'll I'll tell you why here when we get into the next section, more people are going to prophesy over him and an explanation, a full detailed explanation of that encounter. And I believe it's the exact same kind of encounter that we just read, okay? So the explanation's coming as to why they said, don't go to Jerusalem. They were worried for him. They were concerned for his well-being. So they knelt down and prayed. Now, verse 7, And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to um, eh, Ptolemaeus, very good. You just stay right there and keep doing that. Ptolemaeus greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, you remember the last time we saw Philip. What was Philip doing the last time we saw him? Anybody remember? He just got done baptizing somebody. That's right. Ethiopian. So he baptized this guy, runs up alongside. First of all, he's one of the seven, which means he was one of the guys picked to wait on tables because the disciples said, we're not going to separate to wait on tables. We need some guys to do that so we can study and pray and all that. Great. Next thing we see is this guy's part of an amazing uh, revival that takes place. And then the next thing we see is Philip being taken and saying, hey, I need you to go to this road uh, down by Gaza that leads to Gaza. Okay, go down there. So he goes, leaves this revival, fantastic work of God, and goes, stands by himself in the middle of the desert. And along comes his chariot with the Ethiopian, runs up alongside of him, and you know the story. Next thing we see is him baptizing this Ethiopian after witnessing to him, and he's caught up, taken away. And the Ethiopian's like, okay, I guess I'm on my own. That's not what it says, but that's basically what happened. Here we find him, 20 years later. Now, does anybody know why Philip left serving tables in Jerusalem? Because of a man named Saul began persecuting the church, began wreaking havoc in the church. And you'll see that in Acts chapter 8, if you want to go there. Not now, but on your own. Acts chapter 8, Paul wreaks havoc. And all of a sudden, the church is just scattered abroad. And Philip was one of those guys. And look who shows up at his door 20 years later. Paul. Saul. Isn't God poetic? I love this. I just, I absolutely love this. Philip the Evangelist opens the door. I'd just love a photo of his expression, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't know what the expression would have been. Maybe he found out. Maybe he knew the whole time. Oh, Paul, you're here. I heard so much about your wonderful conversion. Maybe not. Maybe he saw Saul standing there instead of Paul. Maybe he looks at him and says, 
oh boy, I guess this is it. You know, I'll just get in the pit now and you throw rocks at me like you did to my buddy Stephen. You know, I don't know. That's not what happens. They're brothers. Talk about unlikely brothers in the Lord. You know, Saul, the one that would put people in prison and kill them for worshiping Jesus, um, runs into Philip the evangelist who ran from him, escaped his, his claws at the time. And here he is. Um, 20 years later, here comes Paul. Now, this man had four virgin daughters, this Philip, who prophesied. I love that. Gift of prophecy. Not just for the apostles. Not just for the immediate generation. Not just for that day. But 20 years later, these young virgin girls, females, are prophesying using the gifts of the Spirit that God has bestowed upon them. And they're little prophets. I love it. I don't know if they're little or not. They could be gigantic. They're little young, I think, girls. Because they say virgins, and that usually means younger, but I don't know. Um, Anyway, four, four daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. There's a ton there. First of all, I like the fact that he didn't try to bind Paul up. That would have been uncomfortable. Let me see your belt, Paul. Let me tie you up. He ties himself up and says, this is what's going to happen to the man who owns this belt. Second thing I find interesting is you've got four virgin daughters in there that can prophesy, and yet God brings down this Agabus to do it. And I don't have an answer for that except for, you know what? That's how it goes sometimes. I know that there's several times. Well, I don't, I don't know about several times. I know of one specific time, let's put it that way, where a brother in our fellowship got saved from a visiting pastor here. That drives me crazy. I hate that. Honestly, it's like, really? That's the first time you've heard the gospel here? And you get saved with that guy? Get out of here. I mean, there's a little bit of a jealousy there, you know? Not really. I'm so glad he got saved. (laughs) But that's how God works. You know what? We don't have a say. I can't receive from you. Uh, I, I rub you the wrong way, or you rub me the wrong way, or something's just something about your personality. You're like fingernails on a chalkboard. I love you, brother, but you're like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. I don't know. But God uses different people at different times in different people's lives, and I don't get to question why. I don't have to understand why. All I have to know is, hey, you know what? What's the fruit that's all that matters. What's the fruit? So this Agabus comes down and ministers to Paul and says, not many days from now, you're going to be captured and you're going to be taken uh, by the Jews and bound and uh, gives him this prophecy um, and tells him that. Now, here's the result. Those are the words of the Holy Spirit. I believe they're the exact same words he heard in the previous one that we don't have the details on, okay? Here's the exact words. Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Doesn't say don't go, doesn't say anything of the sort, watch out, duck for cover. He just says, here's what's going to happen to you, Paul. And I believe that's the same message that's been shared with Paul from the beginning by the Holy Spirit based off of the next things we read here. Ready? Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. They made an interpretation. The Holy Spirit said, you're going to be bound. 
Obviously, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Obviously, you should avoid that place, avoid the pain, avoid the suffering, avoid the incarceration. But Paul knows something that they don't. He's experienced tremendous things while in prison. He's experienced wonderful works of God while just going with whatever God has for him, no matter what. That's why Paul can say, none of these things move me. I'm learning that. 20 plus years walking with the Lord, I'm learning to keep my hands off of the, uh, the situation, the environment, the things that are going on around me and just kind of, okay. Now, normally I'd run for the hills right now, or normally I'd lash out in anger and rage, or normally I'd, but what, what are you doing, God? I've learned enough now to at least stop and pause and pray and say, okay, I've been through enough of these now that really good things happen sometimes in these situations. Paul knows that. Paul's learned that. Paul walks that way. God hasn't told me, and he will tell me, not to go someplace. The Holy Spirit forbid Paul to go to certain places, and Paul obeyed those commands. That's not what's being said here, just what's going to happen. I don't think God can trust me with that kind of information yet. That's probably why I don't hear about what's going to happen next week that's bad because I'm still into that place of running for my life. I'm still in that place of not really just going through it. I want to, I flee always, you know. Paul's learned when to be dropped out of a basket over the side of the wall and when to run into a mob and get stoned to death. He, he knows the difference. He just does what the Holy Spirit tells him to do. I love that. And that's where I want to be. That's where I want to get to. That's where I hope all of us want to get to that place where we hear the Holy Spirit's voice. It doesn't matter whether you're saying danger awaits me. It's whether the Holy Spirit wants me to go to into the danger or go away from the danger. That's what I want to hear. The scenario doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to Paul. And so then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't want to run from this. I run headlong into this. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Be careful in the King James Version there when you read that. It reads kind of funny, or it can if you don't read the, if you don't read the punctuation properly. It could say almost, you could read it almost. That, and so we cease saying the will of the Lord be done. It's not how it reads. It's we ceased, in other words, we ceased pleading and crying and begging and whining, and we just said, the Lord's will be done. Okay, that's what it means, and that's the better interpretation of it, or the better translation of it. That's a great thing. The will of the Lord be done. Now, none of them want this to happen to them. They're like, yeah, Paul, go get arrested. They all just say, you know what, we want God's will. And there was a lesson learned. In Paul's example, in his testimony right here, all those people that were crying about what the Holy Spirit was warning Paul about, they learned to say, the will of the Lord be done. That's a, that's a lesson you can't teach. I mean, we could teach it tonight in a Bible study, reading God's Word. That's great. It would be awesome if we all got that. But we get it better when we see it in action. And these folks saw it in action, and they got it. And hopefully they walked away from this episode, this, this moment right here, saying the same thing for their own lives. You know what? The Lord's will be done. Peter does. His wife does. All these folks get martyred later on. They get martyred for the name of Jesus. They all learned. You know what? The will of the Lord be done. If my death brings God more glory and more sons and daughters to Jesus, then I want to die. If my life 
And my living brings more sons and daughters to the Lord Jesus Christ than may I live. Either way, may God be glorified. I love it. I love it. And all that I just walked that way. So anyway, that's what happened. So Philip and these guys have this wonderful exchange. And I think we get some clarification in this section as to what's happened the two other times where the Holy Spirit's warned Paul not to go, not to steer clear of Jerusalem, but to be prepared for what's about to happen. And it's not beyond my knowledge. Really, that's what prophecy does for us. Prophecy tells us that God knows. It's not for us really to act upon. Prophecy is a, hey, here's what's going to happen. The Antichrist is coming. Now, that doesn't mean I get a sniper rifle and try to figure out who it is and take him out before it happens. He's never asked me to do that. He just said, it's coming. And I also want you to know that I'm taking you home to be with me before it happens. And I'm telling you that now so that you're not looking for the Antichrist. You're looking for Jesus Christ because he's going to take you home. I love it. Verse 15. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain uh, Manassan of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, they made it. The brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. That means there's thousands of Jews that have come to know the Lord in this Jerusalem church. Myriads of them. And they are all zealous for the law. Well, that's unfortunate. But they have been informed about you that you teach all Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. I hate this part. I'm glad God wrote it down, but it is, um, it's embarrassing to read, unfortunately, for me. Um, James and the, disciple, and, the, and, the, and the elders have decided to say, um, Paul, they're actually going to ask him to compromise. Would you compromise? There's myriads of Jews here who are very zealous for the law, and uh, you're going to offend them by being here because they hear all these things about you, about you telling them not to circumcise their children. And although he's probably just been telling the Gentiles that, it's okay to tell the Jews that too. I don't think they understand that. See, uh, well, I don't, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's Acts 15, but I, I, or, uh, I, but I don't want to get there. I've I got to wait. That's, that's not until verse 25. Um, do, do, you, do you see anything missing here? Do you, do you remember why they're going to Jerusalem and who's with, who's with Paul? Who's coming with him? There's a bunch of people from different churches. Do you remember what they're carrying? A bunch of money for the poor Jerusalem church. There is no documentation of a thank you. There is no documentation of a praise God. You guys are such a blessing to us. Those Gentiles are so fantastic. I can't believe you're showing such love for us, us being Jews and you being Gentiles. I can't believe this. It doesn't affect their heart. It doesn't change. There's no thank you. There's a, yeah, you could put that over there. I don't know what else was said. Um, it's not documented. That's all I know. And it normally is. When something miraculous, something fantastic like this takes place, 
when it happens, it's documented in the Bible. You know, the widow and her two mites. Oh, you know, Jesus makes this. This is great. She's given more than all. Anytime this happens, there's a big hoopla about it. John chapter, or first John, or third John, excuse me, third John, you know, with, with uh, Gam- not Gamaliel, um, Gaius, thank you. With Gaius, you know, keep doing what you're doing. There's always an encouragement there. Nothing documented about that transaction. All they're concerned about is you're going you're gonna to make a lot of these guys mad. And we don't want to have that happen here. So do what we say. This is a tough one. Paul has written in Romans about becoming all things to all men and not to offend anybody. And I get that. So sometimes I get that. As a pastor, you run into the situation where we are called to set people free, to tell people about the grace of Jesus Christ the gospel, and how we are complete in him. How when he said it was finished at the cross, he meant a a whole lot when he said that. It is done. The shadow of the things that were cast in the old covenant are completed and fulfilled in Christ. And all those things that you couldn't complete and fulfill, all those things you worried about in the law are fulfilled in Jesus. When you come to Christ, the one who cast that shadow, you're complete in him. He is our rest. He is our Sabbath. He's what the Sabbath was pointing to. He is the Sabbath. And for those still caught up and trying to blend and have this strange mixture of Judaism and Christianity, this bizarre thing where they're still trying to hold on to, we've got to fulfill the law, but we also have this Messiah Jesus. It's tough to know which way to go on this for me. Um, I don't want to offend you if you're not a believer and you're a vegetarian. I'll I'll be glad to have a salad with you just this once. I don't have to order a steak since we're going to talk about Jesus because I don't want that to be the thing you're focused on. We'll just have whatever you're having, I'll have. That's just fine. And you sit there and you eat with them and you can freely talk about Jesus without having any barriers. That's fine. I understand that. But then there's a time when they come to know the Lord. You know what? It's time to take a big bite of a ham sandwich, buddy. It's time to get over this hang-up. Yeah, we want to bear with each other's weaknesses. But remember that. They're weaknesses. We want to be strong. We want to let go of those things that make us weak. And in Christ and in that grace and in that mercy and in that love and in that wholeness and completeness in Christ, that's where our strength is. Not in holding on to something that was weak and vanishing and passing away. And so I, I struggle with this moment right here. Um, I don't know what I would be. There's two guys in the Old Testament that you're supposed to be kind of both, depending on the audience. There was Ezra. If you turn to Ezra chapter 9, Ezra came first. Ezra was uh, in the uh, second wave of Jews coming out of the Exodus. Or coming out of, not the Exodus, the exile, excuse me, out of the exile. And Ezra in chapter 9 came across the guys, the folks back there, and they were intermingled and intermarried with those outside of Jews, Jews marrying others, okay? And this is what he says, When these things were done, the leaders came to me, Ezra, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, 
so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garments and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. So that's Ezra. Now turn to Nehemiah, chapter 13, 25. He's in the third wave of those coming out of the exile. He has a little bit of a different response when he hears this exact same message. Nehemiah 13. Oops, I'm going too fast. Starting in verse 25, he says this, So, after he hears the same message that Ezra heard, So I contended with them, and cursed them, and struck some of them, and pulled out their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. And he goes on. One translation, I love the, the New Living Translation, says, And I beat some of them. <laughs> Contend. I contend and struck. That's so polite, isn't it? You know, like a Frenchman, you know, kind of thing with this thing. No, New Living Translation is, and I, in knowing Nehemiah, right? And I beat some of them and I cursed them, you know. I lean towards one of those two men. I'll let you decide as to which one that is because I like my beard. Yours I could care less about. And so when Paul gets confronted here in Acts chapter 21, I don't know how I'd respond to that if it was me, you know. You want me to do what? Just do what we say. Let's keep the peace. I say stir the pot. I say let's shed this. Let's get this taken care of now. I remember the last time we had this conversation, guys. Well, yeah, 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 but that was just with the Gentiles. We weren't talking about everybody now. That was just the Gentiles. Yeah, but don't you remember what uh, Peter said in Acts 15, verse 11, when we had this conversation? When we were talking, Peter said himself, that we as Jews need to get saved like they do as Gentiles. This is the time to stand up and start yanking some beards and start beating some guys and saying, you know what, get over this. But Paul doesn't. And Paul is an older brother in the Lord. And Paul has a whole lot more wisdom than I do. And Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I don't fault Paul for what he does here. He must know something I don't, you know. And it's in the moment, it's in the situation where it's easy to be an armchair quarterback right here reading 21 saying, well, our Paul wouldn't have done that. Wouldn't even gone to Jerusalem. Holy Spirit told him not to anyway. Careful, I'm armchair quarterbacking. I hate that, you know. Why'd the coach call that play? You know what? It's a little different when you're on the sidelines. You got some guy screaming in your ear and you got this out here and you can't hear yourself think and you've got five seconds to make a decision on what play to call. You make a mistake sometimes or... It just doesn't get executed like you thought it would get, like it was going to be. But you know what? To sit back and say that was wrong, mm, hindsight's twenty twenty. Paul here, my older brother in the Lord, who wrote most of the New Testament, who also wrote Hebrews, I believe, quietly, not authoring it, not writing his name on it, telling the Hebrews to stop being Hebrews. That's what that book's all about. Hebrews was written by a Hebrew to the Hebrews to tell them to stop being Hebrews. Time to learn that Christ is the fulfillment of those things. You know, He submits. Do what we tell you to do. Okay, James. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them. 
and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things, uh, from things offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Yeah, I remember. I was there when you wrote the note. It doesn't say that. But they're telling this guy something that he lobbied for when he was there last time. It also tells me their heart about the Gentiles. A little bit. Yeah, the Gentiles, don't worry about them. They can, I mean, you know, if they're close, it's okay. It almost sounds like we don't really care if they get it anyway. You know? If it's that important to keep the law, if it's that important for all these things to happen, don't you think if I had a love for the Gentiles, I'd encourage them to do this? But, you know, it's Gentiles, so, you know, they really weren't supposed to be a part of this trade anyway. I don't know. Something about it smells. Something about it bothers me. It doesn't pass the smell test here. But I'll leave it in God's hand. Like I said last on Sunday morning, we don't want to fill in the gaps. So I apologize if I try to fill in too many gaps here, but it just reads funny to me. They don't remember that Paul, that uh, Peter said, we need to be saved like they need to be saved. In other words, we need to get grace and mercy and trust in that for our salvation. And that's not being preached in Jerusalem. That's, they're allowed to continue on with this law-keeping, with this uh, accessorizing to the grace of God, to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they don't find it offensive for some reason. So Paul took the men the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the explanation of the days of purification, uh, or expiration, excuse me, expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each of them. Now, here's the thing. I'm hoping and I'm assuming Paul didn't let the lamb be sacrificed for him because he's been preaching that over and over that there is no more sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the fulfillment. There is no more There is no more. For one thing, Jesus said, I have left to you your house desolate. God's not even in the temple anymore. He told them that. I leave your house to you desolate. He also tells us that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. I tell you the truth, lady, at the well. It doesn't matter where you worship. It's going to be worshiping worshiping God in spirit and truth. It's not going to be on this mountain or down in the temple. I'm telling you, there's a time coming when God's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. And we're in that time. Now, they're still at the temple. They're still doing what they normally do. They're still sacrificing animals. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, you know? Anyway, but... Paul, whose ministry, and I believe he understands that now, is to the Gentiles, just wants to be there, just wants to do whatever he can do. And this is one of those times where, look, if ordering steak makes you mad, I'm not going to order steak because I want to minister to you. He's doing what he taught in Romans chapter 12, what he, what he wrote. So he did it. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Just a bunch of accusations. Just a bunch of 
a bunch of lies. I didn't see him, but he's with Trophimus, so he must have brought him in here, so therefore he's guilty of this, 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 and this. No evidence. Paul never preached against the people, the nation of Israel. He didn't preach against the law. He just fulfilled it in Jesus Christ, and that's what he preached. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And he didn't preach against the temple. He said, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. He doesn't preach against anything like that, but everything has been fulfilled in Christ, and everything has changed, and they don't know it yet. And they don't know it. There comes a place where we just have to grow up. You know, we got to grow up in the Lord. I'm not, I'm, I, you're like, I thought I was. I'm here on Wednesday night. I'm at Bible study. Normally I'd be here. You know, I'm not, I, I, that's just, there's a huge portion of the church that just needs to grow up and read their Bibles and believe it wholeheartedly. Got a great night on Saturday, a whole great day on Saturday. Most of the return fire, and we should expect return fire when we're fighting the enemy, right? You know, when you're fighting the enemy and you're not getting a return fire, you're probably shooting in the wrong direction. But when you get return fire from the enemy, you know, okay, and this is an old uh, artillery phrase, fire for effect. And that means, you know, you launch one or two missiles in a certain direction, and when you think you're on target, you tell all the guys, fire for effect. In other words, those coordinates are correct, and boom, here it comes. Our return fire, 80% of it, from what I can tell, was from Christians. It's from the religious. You know what? Grow up. Really? Your King Jesus was proclaimed until 1030. And then we shut it down at 1030, but it was too loud, and you missed out on an hour's worth of sleep? Really? Really? That's going to be an interesting conversation with God, I think. So I was being proclaimed and everybody was worshiping me and people were getting saved in your town, the things you've been praying for, but you missed out on an hour of sleep and you called the sheriff? Can you explain that to me? Well, it's annoying. Grow up, Christian. You know, grow up. And figure out what you're here for. Why are you on this earth? Why do you still exist? Why do you breathe? Why do you walk with Jesus or claim to be a walker, walking with Christ? I didn't put any of that on Facebook. <laughs> That's everything I didn't say. I feel better now. <laughs> oh, I want to yank some beards. Anyway. Anyway, you know what? Next year, fire for effect. Right direction. Right direction. Hey, we got to get this guy. He brought this Greek in there. Oh, okay. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Now they were seeking to kill him. News came to the commander of the garrison, and all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. I want to pause there. How long does it take from the beginning of snatching of Paul, for word to get back to the garrison on the other side of town, they get a group of guys together with their armor and everything on and begin to run towards that situation. Not until they see these guys coming do they stop beating Paul. Where were these myriads of Christians? Where were they? 
These myriads of believers that Paul was so excited to see, myriads, they said, James said, where were they? These thousands of Christians. You know what? That's what the law does. That's what legalism does. It renders renders the church impotent. It makes them worthless. It makes them not reach out. It makes them not care about their brothers and sisters. It makes them care about themselves. and how. That's what the law did. The law focuses people on themselves and their walk and how they're doing and are they going to make it in. It has complete disregard for everybody else. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees always pulled their coats in when they walked next to Gentiles because they were concerned about their purification, not reaching out to the Gentiles and their purification through Jesus through the Messiah that was coming for all men, not just for the Jew, for all men. For God so loved the world, everybody in it, that he gave his only begotten son. But the religious huddle, the religious come against it. And they weren't there for Paul. They kept beating him and beating him and beating him until they saw the garrison. Then the commander came near and took him, Paul, and commanded him to be bound with two chains, just like what was promised, just like what was prophesied. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and another, and, and some, other, some another thing. In other words, nobody knew why they were beating him. They were just beating this poor guy. Must have done something wrong or he wouldn't get beat. That was their exclamation. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of people followed after him, crying out, away with him, which is exactly what they said to Jesus Christ. Crucify him, away with him. Then as Paul was being, was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out to the wilderness? What? Aren't you, aren't you that guy? No, I'm not that guy. How did he get that? Who told him that? Wow. But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Wow, Paul. The guys that were beating you senseless, you want to go preach to them. That, this is what Paul had always hoped for. Believe it or not, this is the moment Paul's been waiting for. A bunch of Jews that hated him. He gets a chance to preach the gospel to the Jews. Hey, can I preach to these guys and tell them about the gospel so they can be saved from hell? These guys that were formerly just beating me senseless, can I preach to them about Jesus? Explain it to them. I know that if I can explain it to them, they'll get saved. That is a heart for people. That is an amazing love that only Christ can put into a man. Only Christ can do that. Mm. So when he had given him permission, (laughs) give it a shot, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language saying, what a terrible break, right? We got to go on. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Hey, this guy's not an Egyptian. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Everybody knew Gamaliel. Taught according to the strictness of our father's law 
and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Now, what he means by that is, I was zealous like you. He tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 2, that the Jews were zealous, but they were zealous in ignorance. They were ignorant of the Messiah. They were zealous for the law, but they did it in ignorance. And so he says, I was just like you. Now, he doesn't say you're ignorant. That's not a great way to open a conversation. Hey, all you ignorant people, I'm going to give you some knowledge here, you know. I was zealous like you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren. And I went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. I was that zealous. Have you any of you guys done that? He was like saying, have any of you guys gone to Damascus and killed people? I did. I killed the church. Now listen to me. And this, Paul doesn't give them an explanation from the Old Testament. Now here's what happens, you guys. In Genesis, he doesn't do that. You know what his apologetics here are? His testimony. His testimony. Now it happened. As I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. And a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened, when I returned to Jerusalem, and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance, and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste, and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. See, obeying the Lord. Not now, not now. I don't want you to do that. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. That's as far as he gets in his testimony. They hear the word Gentile. And when they, they listen to him until this word, Gentiles. And then they raise their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live because he wants to minister to the Gentiles, because he had a heart for the Gentiles. Away with this man. They're not one of us. They're the dirty scum of the earth. They're not one of the anointed. They're not the chosen. Away with him, away with him. When you find yourself on that side of the argument, that you don't like the Gentiles, you don't like them dirty, rotten apes, you know? Get your hands off me, you stinking dirt. Sorry, that's a... 
He played Moses too, didn't he? Okay. Interesting connection there. Planet of the Apes and Moses. Sorry. You can get rid of that one, probably. <laughs> when they heard the word Gentiles, they stopped listening, raised their voices, and said, Away with him, he's not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, who's acting like the animal now? The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging. That's an interesting way to get... That's waterboarding in the Roman era, you know, except a lot worse. I think I'd take waterboarding over this. They would scourge and beat until you confessed, basically. What's your crime? I didn't do anything. Whack! Uh, Make something up just to make it stop, you know. That's their way. So they might know why they shouted so against him. So they're all sitting there, and they're all quiet. Like, ah, okay, I'm, I'm glad I let Paul talk. This is great. And then he says, Gentile. And this whole crowd goes ballistic, and they're like, okay, get him. Get him down. Get him down from there. I don't know what he said, but whatever he said, beat him till he tells us what he said. And as they bound him with uh, thongs, so they've got leather straps, and they're binding him up just like Agabus said was going to happen, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? He pulls the Roman card here. Paul's been beat before. Paul's been stoned to death. Paul runs into mobs. Paul knows when to avoid it and when to, you know. Now, maybe earlier on the day was enough of a beating for him. He says, you know what? I'm not going through a scourging today. I'm pulling the Roman card out right now. I don't know. But he pulls it. Is it right for you to beat an uncondemned Roman? And when the centurion heard that, He went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. And the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. In other words, I'm not born Roman. I had to buy my Roman citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Which in Roman society, that's like, that's a big deal. You know, it's a a born American versus whatever. I don't even know what to compare it to, but it's different for them. Hopefully we don't have a distinction like that, but um, they did. I had to buy my citizenship. Yeah, well, I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him, he's already in trouble. Now, I, I don't like the Romans that much, but I do like this. They had such a way about their citizenship that, look, wherever you go, you're protected. You get a trial. You get a fair trial. That's how we work. That's how we operate. That's how this free society is going to be run. You get a fair trial when you're fair trial. And when you're convicted, that's when punishment. We don't, we're not like the barbarians of the world. We don't just beat you until you come up with this. You know, we don't do that for a Roman citizen. When he said, I was born a Roman, everybody went, whoa, because the penalty was death. The penalty was death. You touch a Roman citizen without a trial, you're dead. And it had, been, it had been done, you know. It had been followed through on. It's a, it's a pretty good model, in my opinion. Trial first. Trial first. We don't convict based on accusations, and we don't beat them without a trial. There's no punishment without a trial. So they withdraw from him immediately. That would have been a great scene. Great scene. The next day, Because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before him. And that's where we'll close tonight. That's a good place. In other words, the tables have turned for Paul. 
Everything's happened so far. He's been bound because of the Jews, and he was turned over to the Gentiles. God's prophecy is being fulfilled. Paul knows I'm right in the middle of the will of God right now. That's a great place. There is no, and I'll leave you with this, there is no better place than to, no safer place than to be in the hand of God, to be directly in his will. You know, no better place. How could you take your kids to Africa on a missions trip? Don't you know how dangerous it is? Yeah, but God called me to go to Africa and take my kids with me. In other words, it's safer for them to be there than for them to be here in a safe country because if they're not in the will of God, they're outside of the will of God, anything could happen to them. But in the will of God, only what God wants will happen. I love this. It's a great, great example for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for, uh, thank you for Paul. What a, what a great big brother to look up to. What a great man of God to look up to, to discern from, to learn from. God, we pray even individually and as a fellowship that you would teach us to be like that to be in that place of being led by your Holy Spirit, whether to today's the day I get beat or today's the day I pull the Roman card. Today's the day I run into the mob. Today's the day I run away from the mob. It doesn't make any difference to us, God. We don't want it to make any difference to us. What the circumstances are, we just want to do your will. Like your son, Jesus. Paul followed Jesus. Jesus knew that. There were times to disappear from the crowd. There were times to go back across the Sea of Galilee after the two demon-possessed men were released and uh, the demons were thrown into the swine. There was a time to withdraw and retreat and move on to a different place. And there was a time to go to Jerusalem. There was a time to receive the cross. Lord, we need to know the difference. We need to know that in our own lives. We need to know what your will is for us each and every day and that we would obey it and not worry about the circumstances, not be concerned, God. But we would trust you and follow you wholeheartedly. Thank you, God, that you're that kind of God that we worship, that you're loving, and you've got plans for us, and you've got good works for us to walk in. Sometimes scourgings, sometimes uh, you know, great outreaches and, 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 and wonderful uh, fruit, Lord. Either way, God, we just want to be in your will. So Lord, help us to be there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.